Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcasts. I'm your host, Lucas Felton. Real quick, before we get started with this week's episode, we'd like to thank Josh Henderson for his voice message about our Hoka One One episode last week. We love getting messages like these, so please don't hesitate to call with any questions or feedback you might have. And now, on to this week's interview. There are thousands of stories of people overcoming adversity through running. These stories are the main reason that thousands more people get involved in running in the first place. Former world-ranked marathoner Kim Jones' story is one that could inspire anyone. Growing up in a poor household and a family seemingly prone to tragedy, Kim first used her, her running as an escape and later turned it into one of the most prolific elite careers ever. Known for starting many races well behind the leaders, Kim used the amazing sense of effort and pace learned from her asthma of all things to not only catch up to, but pass and defeat those early leaders. Kim recently published an autobiography entitled Dandelion Growing Wild, a wonderfully detailed account of Kim's childhood and running career and the many struggles that shaped her. Some of the things we discussed included Kim's approach to racing and the importance of pacing yourself, Kim's unique training style of extremely hard followed by extremely easy days, the Bloomsday Run race in Spokane, Washington, where Kim's career was launched, its course, including the famous Doomsday Hill and what makes it such, such a special event to run, Kim's book, Dandelion Growing Wild, and finally the coaching work that Kim does with her husband, John Sinclair. We'd like to thank Kim for her time and the best of luck in her coaching and future life. As usual, any resources mentioned in this podcast can be found at runnersconnect.net slash runninginterviews slash Kim Jones. Kim, thanks for being on the show with us today. Can you describe a bit of your background for us? Well, I started running um, as, as far as running goes <laughs> as a child. Um, I grew up in um, the Pacific Northwest. had a family of 10 siblings, and we had a couple of bikes, one that worked and one used for parts to keep that first bike working. <laughs> so I was lucky to I was lucky to have a, a bike day maybe once every two weeks. So um, I ran everywhere. Um, we lived in a small town of five thousand um, people. Uh, everybody walked and ran everywhere and I was quite active and enjoyed going to the beach, the parks and so I just ran. Um, and I was always in a hurry to be the first one there and always had to be home in time for dinner because we had to be home at 6 o'clock sharp. Otherwise, we wouldn't have dinner. We'd be sent to bed. So I was always um, sprinting home just in time for dinner. And that's kind of how my, I developed um, into a runner. Uh, I had no idea I was a runner or I had no idea that I was even a talented runner. I struggled with asthma and had to pace myself and stop, slow down. Um, and because we were a poor family, we didn't go to the doctor. We didn't even really have a doctor. So I just learned um, how to manage my asthma. Um, and um, ironically, it, it worked out in a way where I uh, learned how to use those tools later on when I became a marathoner. Because of my active childhood, I developed into a strong and determined athlete. And um, during that time, um, 
uh, as I was running through town, chasing after my family dog or my brothers and sisters or friends, um, the track coach, high school track coach, noticed me and uh, suggested that I join the track team. And that is um, when I ran the 400 and the 800 and the mile, and you know, that was an instant success. It just running took off, and I really didn't train a lot, but I loved to race. And that's how my running began. So what were some of those early high school days like and when running running essentially long sprints? Um, it was, it was, we did a lot of um, just playing. We did leg kicks, jumping jacks um, <laughs> in the, my first year, my sophomore year. Um, we did, really didn't do a lot of training. We ran a couple laps, and um, I came from a religious background. My mother was very into the Jehovah Witness um, congregation, and we grew up as Jehovah Witnesses, and we were not allowed to um, associate with worldly people. And when just getting on the track team was difficult because I had to uh, convince my mother that um, it wasn't a bad thing and it wasn't, you know, the bad association would not spoil my good habits. (laughs) 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 And um, I was afraid to ask my parents when my track coach came to our house and asked my mother if I could join the team and my mother was concerned and finally she um, gave in a little and told the um, track coach that I could join the team as long as I brought the girls track team down for a Bible study once a week. And they agreed to do it, and they must have really wanted me on that team because they came every Wednesday after practice, and my mother um, taught them the good news um, of the Bible, and several of them became Jehovah's Witnesses. That's an interesting so my story. Mom, my mom did, you know, preach the word, and uh, she, you know, was really pleased. And my my um, Jehovah Witness friends are still really cool, great friends, and um, they are still Jehovah Witnesses to this day. That's quite a story. So yeah. having so having started out as a 400, 800 runner and miles sometimes, how did you end up being a marathoner? That's quite a jump in distance. Yes. I, you know, I went to college, but I didn't uh, participate in um, track. Um, we didn't have a cross-country team, and I never ran distances just to run a distance. I had a, I needed a reason. And when the track coach, um, cross-country coach, wanted me to start running these two-mile runs, five-mile runs with the men's team, I, it was just overwhelming for me. I thought, I don't want to run 10 miles, and plus, you know, the men's, team, I mean, they all ran much faster than I did, and um, he just kind of threw me in there with the group, and I, I joined, I was on the team for probably about a month, and um, eventually I just, the boys just dropped me off at the river, and I soaked my feet up. They went and did their 10-mile loop, came back, picked me up, and I ran back to the college with them, and I was not prepared for my first cross-country meet and suffered dearly, <laughs> and I didn't enjoy it whatsoever. And then I, there were a couple of incidents in college that I was basically kicked off the team, and I had no desire to go back and, and run. And um, over time, uh, I just became a college student and had too much fun. Ah. And where did you go to school? 
um, in um, Spokane, I went to Eastern Washington. Okay. So, after obviously figuring out, figuring something out right about your running, you ran uh, you ran a lot of really fast marathons. I mean, looking at the results, it's just incredible the uh, the number of, of pretty fast times that you that you racked up. With that event being such a crapshoot, even on the best of days, how did you get it right so often? I I had found um, through my childhood that it always goes back to when I was younger. Um, I learned how to stay calm and relaxed, and um, whenever anything happened or something disastrous happened, I was able to just accept it and think quickly and adapt. And I think because of that, um, in the marathon, as you say, it's a crap shooting. I honestly, I really didn't have a marathon where everything went perfectly. But I did know how to deal with the situation and react in a positive way and move on. And I think on my good days, I was capable of running a 230. And um, when I had um, problems, I was always good for a 232, no matter what. If something disastrous happened in uh, a 235 to a 238 range, I was capable of. So I kind of had these, um, with the, the marathon down as far as being strong, um, mentally tough, and capable of handling any situation that arose on the spur of the moment. I don't know that any, that hardly anybody has a marathon where everything goes right. So you certainly seem to have made the best of it. So you were coached by uh, U.S. Olympian Benji Durden. He didn't get to go to the games because they were boycotted. But um, tell us about how how he trained you to to be a marathoner. Um, he 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 spotted um, my talent, and I think Don Cardone, the um, founder of the Bloomsday Race um, in Spokane, um, it, they discovered me, um, you know, through the, you know, the small races in um, Spokane, but after I had completed the Honolulu Marathon, I had won a trip to the Honolulu Marathon in my hometown, uh, Port Townsend. There's a roadie run there, and it's my favorite race ever. And um, because I won the trip to Honolulu, I thought, well, I'll just go and run the marathon. Um, and I trained you know, almost every day, but my longest run was 10 miles, and I really didn't do much speed work. I just ran with my friends and enjoyed the, enjoyed the camaraderie um, and, of course, the running. And when I went to Honolulu for a vacation and to run the race, um, I ran the marathon and, my, and just kind of ran through it and with no problem. And my first half was 124.24. The second half was 124-24, and I felt perfectly. I mean, it was quite amazing. And um, Don Cardone um, suggested I find a coach and suggested Benji Durden. And I met Benji at a race afterward, and we talked a while, and he realized, you know, there was this, all this talent um, that he could work with, and I was his first client. He, he became a coach later coaches a lot of runners now, but um, he just took me under his wing, and um, he guided me gently, and um, what he found was 
you know, I could pace myself really well, but a lot, a lot of people didn't know it was mainly because of my asthma. I, I knew that if I pushed too hard, then I would, you know, have asthma symptoms and have to stop. So I was always um, learning as a child, you know, I can't go to this, a certain specific pace. Otherwise, I push too hard, then I'd be flat on my back. So I, and that was part of my um, ability to pace myself. That was one of the reasons. And so Benji, over time, found this out. And other, um, my other strange, um, I guess, ability to um, run uh, as far as my heart rate was really low. I mean, he just kind of found these things out as we were um, working together. And he found the perfect um, way and perfect um, way to guide me along. And consistency and recovery were the key ingredients in my training. Uh, he knew what I could handle and pushed me right to the to the edge, um, but he never took me over the edge. And the fact that I was um, capable of running weekly long runs of 22 to 27 miles, and then come right back a few hours later and run eight to nine miles um, without breaking down, um, you know, I was told I was extremely strong, but I needed those recovery days to absorb that training. And then the other thing he did um, for me, since I did have that natural speed and I was able to, you know, um, just turn on the, the kick and you know, sprint in, was the fact that I needed that speed stamina. And so what he did for me, and it worked brilliantly, was um, he designed my speed workouts within a two-hour run. So I would warm up for four or five miles and just kind of fatigue my legs a little. And then, um, you know, do my speed session of some thousands, two thousands, you know, the longer type speed set uh, intervals. And then um, I would go home tired, but then a few hours later, I'd go back out for another eight, nine miles. Um, and then, you know, then I had another <clears throat> couple easy days. And in the races leading up to my important marathons, I trained through them. So I've never backed off on the mileage or you know, the intensity of my workouts leading into the um, marathon, which you know, felt like I was you know, running a marathon when I was in those races. And so three days a week, I was basically running between 70 and 75 miles. And then the other four, which was for recovery days, were 20 to 25. So the bulk of my training were three days. That's quite impressive. I don't know of yeah. hardly anybody else who's probably ever trained that way. And, you know, it worked for me, and, you know, Benji just told me from the beginning, he told me that, you know, I'm going to, when you take this slowly, you have all the time in the world to become the best in the world. And, you know, that's what he told me from day one. And he worked with me, and we slowly built up the miles. You know, we didn't just try to take shortcuts. We didn't do anything other than to push right to my um, to the edge, but never beyond. And I was never really injured from training and racing. It was always, you know, an accident here and there that's that I had no control over. That's also pretty incredible. So, having read your book, Benji mostly coached you long distance. How did he? Uh, how did you? How were you able to find that balance in how hard you could train without going over the edge, without him actually being there? We talked on the phone once a week, and he visited a few times and ran with me, and he um, listened to me. He listened and 
if I, you know, if I just said, you know, I'm a little tired or, you know, I'm sore or whatever, um, he'd say, okay, another easy day. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't mind, and I was the type of runner where I really loved my recovery runs. I wasn't obsessed about getting mileage, and I was just, I just really wanted to get the training in and, and be ready for my races. So I trusted Genji, um, fully trusted him, and um, just put my running into his hands, and, um, you know, I, he would give me another easy day, and, you know, I would say, great, you know, I take another easy day and be fully ready um, for my next workout, or I know, you know, I'm a coach now, and I uh, coach athletes who are afraid to tell me they're sore or, you know, they're feeling tired because they don't want that easy day. They don't want me to you know, back down on the training and not keep pushing. And, you know, it's, for me, I, I watched and tried to um, tell them, you know, an easy day is good. It just helps you absorb that training, the hard training. Yeah, I think it seems like most coaches who are of, you know, most pretty good quality coaches will uh, will always err on the side of, well, basically, better to be at the line 95% fit and then 100% injured. Right. I agree with that. So can you describe a little bit more about your uh, your struggles with asthma? Because you, you mentioned that you had that you, that you kind of struggled with that your whole career, but that it was something of an asset for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was sort of fun, and it was scary, and, you know, I, I had to drop out of a couple of races because of it. But I developed asthma, I, I believe. I mean, you never know, if, you know. But from, I was around smokers from day one. I mean, my, my parents, my father smoked, all of his you know, family smoked, and I was just breathing it all day, day in, day out, for, you know, for most of my childhood. And um, I also, it's not just, um, you know, allergies and, um, you know, pollen and particles in the air, pollution and all of that, which is a big um, factor, but... I developed asthma from stress as well, which is a double whammy. <laughs> you know, racing a marathon in the city right. and stressed out. So um, I learned to handle the asthma you know, as a child because you know I would be stressed out, and I learned to find ways to stay calm and take myself out of those stressful situations. I would leave, I would go watch cartoons, I would um, go run on the beach, I would go do something to get away from the stress. Or, you know, pretend, not pretend it wasn't happening. I knew it was happening, but I would just take a step back and not be a part of it if I could help it. And um, and that's, that's true in the marathon as well. There's something that's going on, you know, with the, there's, there's some article written about me that, you know, I was going to you know, fall apart. I, I was, I'm a toll runner. I can't be a marathoner. You know, I'm, I'm going to break down and this and that. I had to just say, oh, you know, that's their opinion. I have to just put that aside. Um, or if I'm in the marathon and my shoe comes untied or if I, you know, um, somebody knocks me over, you know, all I can do is tie my shoe <laughs> and then continue on or, you know, pick myself up and, and go on without being angry or upset. And I think that um, kept my um, anxiety level down. And as far as the pollutants and the um, pollen and all of that, I just had to um, train in, indoors on the treadmill. And then in a race, I just had to back off my pace so that I, did, I didn't push to the point of that threshold where you know, you're, you're, uh, you're on race pace and you have to stay there. I, 
and take a step back from that. And so instead of running like 10K pace in my 10K, I tried to run marathon pace. But that marathon pace, I was totally comfortable with, and I, it didn't, I didn't lock up. My lungs didn't tighten. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody who has asthma, but it's like uh, something just gripping your lungs and tightening and getting tighter and tighter until um, you, you just can't breathe. And um, when I feel that tightness, I, over time, learn to just back off. I'll back off if it's anxiety or back off on the case if it's from the running and allergies and that sort of thing. And it, it just over time, I learned how to manage it. And did you, did you find that it got easier to deal with as you got fitter and fitter? Because that's also a story that you hear from a lot of asthmatics is that the, the more aerobically fit they are, just the easier breathing becomes and the easier it is to handle their asthma. Um, I believe the fitter you are, yes, absolutely. Because, you know, but it's still there. And if you run too fast, then it's going to, you know, you're going to have an asthma attack. So if you're fitter, you're going to run faster and run at a faster pace. But if you run beyond that threshold, then um, the asthma will occur. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of um, balancing the pace more so than the fitness level. Okay. So more like shifting the curve sense? as opposed to changing it. Yes. Okay. And so something else that you were known for is you raced over a pretty wide variety of distances over your career, not just marathons or half marathons. How did you prepare for different events? Did you have to adjust your training? Did you have to do anything special? How did you do that? Um, I was, I had natural speed. I mean, I could go out and run a, you know, a sub 60 second, 400 right now at age 56. Um, it, it's, I'm impressed. It's always there. <laughs> it's always there. And, I, you know, I've always, you know, had that sprinter form. And, like I said, I've never really been injured, um, you know, overtraining, that sort of thing. So, in my um, career races, um, I, if I worked on strength and if I was strong, it would take me a month to, you know, uh, tune up for a 5K or tune up for a mile race. I just, I just would... You know, hit a few um, good solid speed sessions, and the speed would you know um, come back quickly, and I was able to you know hold that um, speed state, speed pace, um, because I was so strong, um, you know, aerobically strong. Okay. And so, what were your what were a few of your favorite speed sessions? Because those are always kind of the more fun workouts for people to do. Um, my favorite um, speed session was. Six times a thousand, right at gold race pace over a 5K. That would be three, I think three oh eight or something. No faster, um, but, but that would be comfortable for me because I would take a full recovery of one lap of 400. So six times a thousand with a full recovery, um, and then I would do two times 600 um, at. 4.30 mile pace, for example, but much faster than my 5K goal pace. And then I would jog and run the full 400 and then do four times 230 seconds, 29 to 30 seconds. So mixing in some longer, some longer, more intense stuff with some speed. I'd... Yeah, it's one of my favorites, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed you know, getting faster. And, and ironically, <laughs> um, that worked out for me 
in racing as well because I would always, I never really slowed down in my races. I, I usually either even split or negative split in most of my races. Probably a function of that having to go at a certain threshold before you could actually, for you, for a little while before you could actually start because of the asthma. Right. right. A skill I think many people could stand to benefit, stand to uh, to gain and learn. So I want to go into the uh, the Bloomsday Run in Spokane, Washington. You were a resident of Spokane for for most of your elite career. Tell us about that uh, that Bloomsday event and why it's such a special race. Well, it, it's um, what got me running again after uh, you know after my high school um, career and my short um, college uh, running uh, career. But um, I started my family after college, and, and six, seven years after um, you know my high school days as a track runner. And uh, I had my daughters and. Um, I wasn't running at all, but I woke up one morning and wanted to watch the Bloomsday uh, race. It was a, it is, as you know, a ten k or twelve k uh, race, and extremely popular with um, everybody who lives in the Spokane area. Uh, right now, we're close to fifty thousand runners who participate in the race, and so a lot of my friends were running, and I thought, well, you know, I'll watch. And so I um, turned the television on and had a cup of coffee, and I was sitting there in my pajamas in a comfortable chair. And I turned on the television, and um, I was watching the the commentator, you know, talk with the runners. Um, you know, the, the elite runners were talking about their race and you know how they planned to try to win and so forth. And then they they started interviewing everybody else, the people there to have fun and enjoy the race, and you know the fun runners. And I really started to feel left out sitting there in my pajamas and wished I were there. I mean, I kind of would spark my desire to be a part of it. And, um, you know, I started um, watching the race when they were covering the beauty races. And, you know, they were just so beautiful. They were running so smoothly. And I kind of, I remember feeling that way, you know, running the track. And and I really... um, Built um, the need to, to run, um, and after the race, the commentator interviewed the elite runners who placed high in the race. And one of those runners was really excited and um, you know t- talking about his race. And then um, later, he said that um, everybody should you know be out there running Bloomsday. Um, so great way to improve your health and enjoy the camaraderie of fellow runners and. Then he mentioned that the, the race, racing, especially road racing, is the only sport where people of all abilities can compete together in the same event. And um, watching this runner describe his race and how much fun it was and just his enthusiasm sparked my desire to run Bloom's Day uh, the following year. And, I, and strangely enough, um, that runner, I'm married to him right now, John Sinclair. It's really odd, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's funny how things work out. Yes. And then, at, so I did decide that I would run um, Bloomsday the following year. However, I didn't train for it. I just, you know, like everybody else in, in Spokane, they just go to the starting line and run the race. And a lot of people didn't train for it. And my goal was to run from start to finish without having to walk. Um, and I did, but it 
I was miserable by the time I finished. Um, I went through the finish shoot and plopped down on the curb, and every muscle in my body ached. And I just was kind of <laughs> enjoying the moment of sitting and relaxing. And this woman came down, came over and sat down beside me and asked me how I did. And I started telling her about, you know, I ran the race without having to walk. <laughs> and... Um, I, you know, I ran up the hill with no problem. I went on and on, and then um, I started telling her about my um, track career as a high school runner. And then I started feeling embarrassed because I was bragging about myself. And I think it was the endorphins that kicked in or something. But I was, I just apologized, and I told her, um, I asked her, she did. <laughs> and she said, oh, um, I'm Anna Audain. I won the race. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed and I told her so and she um, chuckled and said she had enjoyed talking with me and um, she told me that if I were to run um, through the following year but train for it um, I would feel a lot better than I did right then sitting in the, on the curb and I would run a lot faster <laughs> and so, so I did train for it the following year and I won five months I placed in the top 10. Uh, I think I was 8th place. And that started my um, elite career. I, lo- I, I love that story in your book. That was really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was less yeah, funny, funny for you at the time. Yeah, you know, what's funny and what's amazing since you have read the book is that people came into my life at just the right time. I mean, I was, you know, I had a lot of misfortune, but I also had, I was very fortunate to have so many good people in my life. And Anna Dane to this day is a very good friend. And she actually takes credit for my elite career. She tells people that she's the one who found me. She found me sitting in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tell her and everybody else, yeah, but Anna Dane was sitting there right next to me in that gutter. <laughs> So was there anything about that? You ran the race several times after that as an elite runner, and was there anything about the course that suited you and your abilities, or was it just something you did? Or Describe that a bit. Uh, the Blue Bay course itself is a great course for me because you know, it's a tough course, and I'm a strong runner. I you know, can handle hills, and that's fine. But it's always in May, and that's high pollen season, and I'm always struggling. Um, that time of year, I try not to race too much because, um, and I do a lot of training on the treadmill during that time of year. And it, um, unfortunately, Bloomsday is in you know the beginning of May, and and that so it's never really been a great race for me. I've always just struggled through it, and you know had to back off on my pace quite a bit um, when I raced there. So everybody who's heard of this race or run the race has, of course, heard about Doomsday Hill, which is it that it ends at five miles? It begins at five miles. begins at five miles. So is there anything else about the course that people who are running it for the first time should be, you know, mindful of? Um, yeah, there, there are some hills leading up to the, uh, they call it Doomsday Hill. <laughs> but um, there are a series of hills um, in the race that Pacing is critical in the Bloomsday race. Um, you know, it goes out and they're pretty flat mile, you know, downhill, second mile. But just towards the end of that second mile, there's a really steep hill, and that can take uh, a lot out of a person's life. Um, because after that, that hill in the second mile, 
it flattens out a little, but then you have, um, we call it Cemetery Hill, which is right around three miles. And it's, it's a mildly, mild climb, but, you know, it lasts for quite a while. And by then, you know, if, if you haven't paced yourself, um, by the time you get to Doomsday Hill at five miles, then um, you, you just don't have it. You just lose it. It's similar to, you know, a, a small scale running Boston Marathon. You, know, you have to pace yourself, even though it's a downhill miles. Um, you have to pace yourself well so that you can tackle the hills, um, you know, from Boston, and then take advantage of that flat and downhill portion at the end. Absolutely, I think uh, a lot of people would say that they uh, that they have really, no pun intended, shot themselves in the foot, running a little too hard before they get to get to mile five. Right, and I always say pacing is the key to a great race, especially a, a difficult course like Bloomsday. Right. So you finally won Bloomsday, and I want, was it the last, it was pretty much the last year of your professional career, is that right? Right. I retired um, a, year, a year later, but year I later. ran it as a master, uh, master runner, but I had been in an accident, a career-ending accident, really, and uh, I had a couple of um, race appearances, and I had to run a couple races uh, to finish up my uh, my career, so I ran Bloomsday as a master's runner. And, so, how did it feel to finally win your hometown race? Right, you know, after after several years and many years of trying, it was the most powerful and uh, exciting uh, win for me ever. I mean, you know, it's it was um, all of my friends and some of my family members were there. Uh, my daughter was in, um, at the finish line. Um, in tears, joyful tears, um, knowing how hard I had worked and also that Bloomsday was what started my career and it had a um, deep meaning for me um, to win. And I, you know, I, it was highly unlikely that I could win because I usually ran Boston you know, a couple weeks before Bloomsday or you know, the allergies were really bad or you know, I never really... It just never set myself well for that race, and it all just came together on that day, and it was um, it was wonderful. It was the biggest career. And with the race coming up pretty soon here, I think a lot of people will. I hope a lot of people will take your advice and who, who have listened to this and and do pace themselves early in the race because it will in fact come back to bite you. So. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times in this interview, but you uh, published an autobiography a couple of years ago entitled Dandelion Growing Wild. What made you want to write and publish your uh, your story? Um, many years ago, I began writing short stories uh, about my childhood and the experiences that I shared with my daughters. Um, and they were stories that helped them uh, through awkward and disappointing times as they were growing up. And um, over time, the stories grew into our history and an, an explanation as to why, why our family's so messed up at times <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and, you know, how, you know, what happened. And so it was, you know, a history. And it, it, I wanted to show them through writing a story that, um, you know, there are lots of events in life that well, there were messages I wanted to show, which is, you know, anything is possible with hard work and determination. You can overcome anything. And 
you know, and, and so I wanted to show them through my story, um, you know, how I overcame, how it is possible, and, um, you know, the, and I think the key uh, was to show them that you, know, you can make good choices and poor choices and the consequences of making poor choices. And I think they learned a lot from my stories, and I think it's helped them um, grow stronger and learn that if you are persistent and you have hope, then anything is possible. Well, as you mentioned, you, you talked about this about some stories of your childhood. The uh, the book overall tells quite an incredible story. There's, uh, as you said, a lot of a lot of hardship and a lot of success and a lot of a lot of struggle. Um, why did why did you choose to include so many details that at times get somewhat graphic? I felt that the need to write the full story, and I only wrote about the stories that um, moved my life forward, stories that impacted me and helped me um, grow and become stronger. And I needed to tell the, the story fully. Um, leave no gaps, and I talked with um, an author, Wally Lamb, and he gave me some good advice when um, um, we communicated, which was, um, show, never tell, and in your book, and it'll be a great success. And show the most significant stories, what, what moved your life forward, and what, um, propelled, what propels the story forward. And... To me, those um, details were really critical in, in bringing the reader into my story and having the reader fully understand what you know we went through, my family, siblings, my parents, all of us, because it's not just a story about learning. It's a story about a family who um, struggled through um, many trials and tribulations and um, you know, how we all um, handled the situation. Yeah, a lot of, I think a lot of autobiographies of elite of elite runners, people will read them looking for, you know, the secret of why they, of how they were successful and how they ran fast. And they're looking for, they're, they're looking for numbers. They're looking for workouts and, and mileage and things like that. And yours, uh, yours definitely tells quite a different story of, uh, of what it was that made you successful. Right, and I think um, each story that um, I write about in, the, in my childhood all comes back later in life. Everything that I've written comes back later in my running. Um, and so I show how I became the tough, strong, determined uh, marathoner. Um, and the experiences in my childhood, you know, um, made me the, the tough kid, and in turn, I became a tough marathoner. Well, it was a very, very, it was a very good read. Um, I would definitely recommend it to everybody out there. Where could, uh, where could one obtain this book if they were so inclined? Um, they can order it on Amazon. I just go to Dandelion Growing Wild, and um, I have a product page, and they can order it from there. And it's also available on the Kindle Reader. Again, I would definitely recommend it. It's it is quite an interesting story, and there's a lot of lessons to be gained. So, tell us about the online coaching service that you do with your husband, John. Yes, um, 
that was um, uh, when John um, started, and my husband uh, uh, started a, a personal coaching service for distance runners of all abilities. Um, and I think it began in the early 90s. Also, may have been the first internet coaching service uh, available to runners in the U.S. Sounds likely. Uh, yeah, it was set in the early 90s, so it's, that's possible. And um, I joined up with uh, he and um, our coaching partner, Kent Oglesby, um, right, in the, right around um, 2000. So I've been with him for 14 years. And um, we specialize in coaching that is specific to each client. And it's based on the linear principles. Um, and it's tailored to meet the needs of um, each of our clients. And um, most of the athletes um, communicate with us by email. And um, they're, lo they're located everywhere across the country. And um, we work with beginners to elite um, level athletes. And, um, and they running any type of distance, a variety of distances. And um, that's pretty much it. We actually, you know, based off of, off of, you know, kind of how Benji coached me back in the day. You know, we um, had phone calls and they um, email and stand up reports and I, you know, read um, the, their feedback and make my decision, coaching decisions based off of their feedback. Can you go a little bit into what's different about Benji's coaching method versus the Lydiard coaching method? Um, I think he... Um, he, like every athlete's um, different, um, and I'm not sure how he coaches other athletes, but for me, you know, the mileage was important, and uh, a lot of mileage, and the Lydiard program and beliefs uh, work for um, everybody, I believe, but yeah. like Benji tailored my training to fit my needs, and I needed more um, kind of temple-ish, um, I call it speed stamina, um, just kind of like little harder sessions within my long runs. Uh, and a lot of runners, you know, begin with you know, just steady, easy running, getting, accumulating a lot of miles and then building from there. And I think Benji, well, does so, I mean, definitely, you know, builds a base foundation for my, for my running anyway, and then, but then he really works on the speed for me and, and puts more um, ingredients into the equation. Okay. And so what advice would you give to a runner preparing for his or her first marathon or, frankly, any race? Um, I, first of all, have a plan. I mean, don't go in there and think, oh, I'm just going to see what happens. Or anything. But have a plan, but always be prepared to improvise, uh, make changes as you go along. And like I mentioned earlier, if your shoe comes untied, you don't freak out, you just tie it. <laughs> you know, just kind of know that things may happen in the race. If something knocks you over, you get that back and start running again. Um, and if you go through a bad patch, um, it's a bad patch. Everybody goes through them. So slow down a little if you need to. Um, you know, just get through the bad patch and know, you know, if you, if you just are in control and don't get too worried about it. You know, you, you'll run out of that bad patch, especially in the longer races like the marathon. But don't always um, 
feel like, okay, it's over, I'm slowing down, I'm going to run a slow race and start thinking all these negative thoughts because usually you will resume your normal pace and get back into the race and feel comfortable again. Um, and you should always be in control. Uh, the marathon is a distance, but you're in control of what you do to cover that distance. Mm-hmm. And that's, I just say, don't be intimidated by it and just go with your instincts. And teach yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So to finish off, um, this has been a really great talk, Kim. I think a lot of people will gain a lot of really cool information out of it. But to finish off, I just want to do five kind of really quick things. Um, what was your pre-race meal? Uh, pre-race, the morning of the race, I would have um, olive oatmeal, a banana, and if it were a late race, I would also have a bagel with cream cheese and pot of coffee, <laughs> and uh, I always had maple syrup and sugar. Ah. I used maple syrup in my oatmeal. I used maple syrup in my coffee. I never had sugar. I don't know why. I, I ate sugar. I just didn't the morning of the race. Interesting. And what was your favorite workout out of everything you out of everything you did? Um, I would say the workout I mentioned to you earlier, okay. the six times a thousand, then the you know the middle two six hundreds, and then some sprint, sprinting the two hundreds at the end. What was your favorite race to run? I would say New York City Marathon, nineteen eighty nine. Any particular reason? Um, everything went well. You know, we talked about you know how you know it seems like no marathon goes perfectly. But I, you know, I had run a marathon for four weeks earlier, uh, the Twin Cities Marathon, and I won the Twin Cities Marathon. But I really wanted to break two thirty, and I ran New York City Marathon four weeks later. And, you know, that wasn't a good thing in my eyes because, you know, I was tired and, you know, I should have recovered more. But um, when the gun went off, I felt fantastic. You know, there was overcast sky, no wind, and I started, you know, know, I paced myself well and was far behind, but, you know, worked my way up to second place and ran my PR of 227 at that time. Um, And it was the first American... I think that was the highest placing for an American in a number of years, and um, the fastest time for an American on that course. And it, and it was easy. I mean, from start to finish, I didn't have a bad catch. I didn't have. I, I just floated along and finished the race. And it, not that I couldn't have, I couldn't have run any harder. I just, you know, hit it just right. What do you do for f- both now and when you were when you were competing? Um, I had a lot of fun with my kids. <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> um, I have, um, I, I would plan, you know, my training and racing around my family life. Um, and I didn't have a lot of friends, but I spent quality time with the few friends I did have. Um, and I gave most of my um, free time to my daughters and husband. And, you know, we went on trips and... But family kind of outings. You know, we went to Disney World, Disneyland. Um, we went camping. We went to um, you know the lakes and stayed in cabins. But we, I just spent a lot of time with family. And um, now I spend a lot of time 
running and you know have more friends now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I spend a lot of time with my daughter and grandchild and my um, immediate family when I do go back to Port Townsend and visit them. I just enjoy traveling a lot, and I run almost every day and love it. Uh, I don't um, miss the day unless, you know, something important comes up, like babysitting my granddaughter. <laughs> right. But I, I, put a lot of, I put a lot of time and energy into family, and I, and I uh, always have. And finally, what race did you never get to but would have loved to run? The Olympics. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, that's not what somebody would pull out of their hat, but not the Olympics. I would have, um, I, you know, had so many, I think, four opportunities to make the Olympic team, and each time, you know, disaster struck, and um, not huge disasters, but enough that I wasn't able to make the team, and um, that was very disappointing for me. Well, you certainly seem to have pulled through just fine. Yes. Well, Kim, thanks so much for your time today. This has been a really cool interview. I think a lot of people get a lot of a lot of good information out of it. Great. All right, have a good rest of the day. Thanks for your time again. You too. Thank you. Bye, Kim. Bye. This has been a Runners Connect podcast. We'd love it if you could leave a short review on our iTunes page to let us know what you think of our podcasts and how we can make them better for you. Also, if you have a question about this episode or any other, please don't hesitate to ask. You can leave a comment on the webpage or leave us a voicemail at 617-356-7969. We'll do our best to answer as many of these questions as we can, either in a future episode or in one of our monthly Q&A sessions. I'm your host, Lucas Felden, and thanks for listening.